Hello, 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 and welcome to Finding Matt Damon. This is the podcast where we interview entertainment industry professionals about their lives, careers, successes, and failures, and they introduce us to a mentor of theirs, creating a wonderful archive of stories all on our way to the great Matt Damon. Uh, This episode, we got to spend some time with the amazing, kind, generous, wonderful, talented Kurt Columbus. Uh, We got to talk about life in Chicago, a little bit about Trinity Rep, and building a community in the theater. Uh, We had a lot of fun with this episode, so we hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. Could you tell me who Matt Damon is and what does he mean to you? And while you're at it, could you tell me who is your Ben Affleck too? Matt Damon is maybe just the friends you meet along the way. So let's all talk about Matt Damon and have a great day. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's so nice to see you, Maggie. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, It's great. Sam, nice to meet you. Hi, it's so nice to meet you too. What a um, lovely, what lovely artwork you have behind you. Thank you. I, I happen to be in Vermont right now, but that's a, a Providence <laughs> by Shepard Fari. So that's so cool. Yeah, he's a he's a Rhode Island, he went to school in Rhode Island. So we have a lot of his um, murals in our city. So that's actually awesome. a mural that's on one of the buildings that our MFA program is in. Wow. Yeah. I love that. So exciting. I have to say, when we were like doing our like background research on you and like getting the scoop on your whole life, um, just going through the Trinity website, I was like, oh my gosh, all the memories. It was, I loved it. I loved it. Um, it Are you doing well? You're doing well in Chicago? I am, I guess I'm New York based technically. Okay. Um, I know, wild. Uh, But yeah, right now I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. So we're, it's a pandemic. We're like a little all over the place. Okay, and Sam, where are you based? I'm based in New York City. I'm about to start at NYU in the fall for my master's, but I'm currently just outside of Boston staying with my parents for a while. Oh, cool. Um, NYU master's in? I'm doing English and theater education combined. Oh, how fabulous. Good for I'm you. really excited. Yeah, that's really, really good. Great. Well, um, yeah, my faculty meeting was blissfully short. Great. <laughs> so the usual windbaggery didn't happen. And so here I am on time. Hey, fantastic. Okay, so we can just jump right into it then, I guess, right? Okay. Feels good. And my apologies, my internet may be a little slow. We, I am in Vermont and <laughs> it's all hamster powered. Um, we have a hamster that we think is named Snowball who powers all of the internet up here. So just say. What's really funny is this is my second call with somebody from Vermont today because I, I'm currently working as a journalist and we had a event for the launch of a new Ben and Jerry's flavor, which was the most fun virtual event I've gotten to attend. Wait, <laughs> but what? everybody, everybody on that call was in Vermont and like you, it was so like the internet was awful. This is yeah. much better compared to that. I was right. like, are I'm they just... in the mountains? <laughs> <laughs> we, my husband and I have this thing that we, we, whenever our internet is bad or you can't get cell service, like most of the places you can't get cell service, we're like, thanks, Bernie. You've <laughs> only been our senator for 35 years. Really, thanks. That's great. Oh. <laughs> Wait, well, Sam, what is the new Ben and Jerry's flavor? Can you tell us? Is it a secret? 
yeah, we'll take it out in the edit because I don't know if like we could publicize it on here. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's my glamorous job. Um, so Kurt, just kind of to start off, yep, yep. Um, you are the artistic director at Trinity Rep um, in Providence, Rhode Island. Fantastic, wonderful. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about your experience in the pandemic as like not only an artist in the theater, but also like as someone in charge of so many artists in the theater. I'm curious kind of how that, how that experience went for you. Um, <laughs> it's hard, you know, I mean, on some level, I'm proud of the resiliency of the folks that I work with that, that they've been able to pivot and adapt. Um, you know, uh, in fall of 2020, we should have had 132 people working at the theater. We had 28, right? So it was, it was literally just trying to keep us afloat. Uh, and with those 28 people, we put on a virtual Christmas carol, which was a highlight of the year for us. Um, you know, I collaborated with six of the actors that I work with all the time. I brought them uh, together. We did a workshop where we kind of worked on the script and thought about what our virtual Christmas Carol would look like. We didn't want it to look like anyone else's because Christmas Carol Trinity Rep is, doesn't look like anyone else's. And it's also um, different every year. So the it, unlike most places that do Christmas Carol, you you show up and um, the story that I tell is that when I was an actor, I went to this theater that shall remain nameless and I, I had gotten the part and I was all excited because, you know, I, yeah, I got cast and they, I went in my costume fitting and I, I, I was like, this, this doesn't smell very good. And the lady who was the costume shop manager back when you could smoke in the costume shop, she was like, yeah, the guy who wore it last year was a big sweater. And that's when I knew that in fact, I had been cast because I fit the costume. Because <laughs> they don't, you know, most places that the costumes have been around for 10 or 15 years, the scenery has been around for 10 or 15 years, it's the same show, we do the same thing. Trinity Rep does it different every year. So the challenge was to find a way to um, do it differently and also embrace the pandemic because you know, that's the other thing that we do is that the real world inflects our work, e even when we're doing Christmas Carol, right? So, you know, Scrooge was walking down the street in a, in a plague mask, in a 1918 pandemic mask. Um, and, uh, and we made Trinity Rep, the theater, his home. So when he went home to bed, he went through the lobbies, which was a way to show the people what they were Missing. Yeah, it was really kind of cool. And we walked through the streets of Providence because um, I wanted to make it a love letter to Providence and the things that we were missing because by not being in person. So there's been a lot of great stuff. We've done some great virtual programming. We have a series on right now that's called America 2, T-O-O. -O, um, that's about sort of different topics from our community and artistic response to them. So last month was our education this month, this week, tomorrow, no, day after tomorrow is our people. Next month will be our health. And then the month after that will be our service, which will feature veterans. Um, so, because we have a whole veterans initiative. So we've been doing all this great stuff, right? And 
let go of over a hundred people in the summer of last year. And you both know this because you live artistic lives. I didn't get into the job that I'm doing so that I could basically fire a hundred and four people at one go, you know? Um, and, uh, and my actors have been out of work and um, it's been debilitating. I mean, it really has. I, I, I could sit here and blow sunshine, but I, um, fall was really hard. And uh, uh, it, it, you, the whole job just became survival and uh, had very little artistic in it. So it was, um, it was a tough go. Spring feels hopeful. I'm putting together uh, a season for the second half of next year because that's when we're pretty sure we'll be able to gather again. And we're really pushing to try to do Christmas Carol in the fall. So uh, in person. Um, so that's, that's what we're up to now. I mean, it's clear that you all have been working so hard. And I know that Trinity specifically as like a repertory company is such an interesting uh, setup. And it's, you know, like when you're, you, whoever, not me, is in like a Broadway show and you're like, yes, I've like got my big break. Like the cast of six is always what I think of. And they're like just about to like premiere and they're so excited, still in previews and then boom. And they like don't have that like community to fall back on. Cause it's like, okay, the costume director, everyone else, isn't like tied to that theater or tied to that place in the same way that Trinity is. Um, which I think yeah, is and you know, we had, I, I, I laid off people who had been there for more than 25 years, you know, and that was just heartbreaking. And we did what we could. We like, you know, we were about to go into rehearsal for Sweeney Todd. We paid for four weeks of the actors, even though we'd never rehearsed a day because we are like, we can't just let them go. We paid out the contracts for the folks who were in sweat because we wanted them to have something just to try to, you know, get people a little bit of footing to hold them over until the unemployment stuff kicked. It, it was, but um, no, I, I mean, I've, every artistic director that I've talked to has said, um, if I knew this was part of what I was gonna be doing, I would have said, fuck it, you know, um, uh, six months ago and just been like, I'm out before this all happened, but yeah. now here we are and here we are. So you just deal with it, you know? You are actually the second artistic director we've gotten to speak to, which is really exciting. And I think something that both Maggie and I learned um, from speaking to any artistic director is just the sheer mass of responsibilities that that <laughs> role entails. I don't have to tell you, um, <laughs> you clearly know about it. I am so interested to hear maybe how, I know you've just touched on like, you had to lay all these people off. Are there other new things that have come up in your job in the past year that you weren't doing before because of the pandemic? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, new things at, at, like, things that I like doing or new things? Anything, yeah. yeah, any side of it. I mean, I uh, I had an associate artistic director who used to handle all the budgeting and all the check requests and all the, so I do that now. Um, sure. I used to have an assistant who did all my scheduling and talked to people and um, 
you know, set up meetings weeks in advance. I do all of that now. Um, uh, I used to have a literary department that would write to people. I do all that now. Wow. Um, uh, it, and again, I'm not saying this to say woe is me, but it's, <laughs> the, it's the reality. Um, I've been teaching in our education program because it's hard to, um, uh, you know, find the folks to do this because you're, I mean, you, who wants to go off unemployment to teach an hour and a half class on Saturdays, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, which is, that part's been nice. I've been enjoying teaching. I taught directing to fifth graders last summer. Oh, that sounds so fun. Um, yeah, sounds like it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like they, they you know, it, it, we're all in Zoom boxes and they were like, oh. <laughs> for the first two weeks, cause you know, trying to teach them direct. I haven't taught, the youngest kids I ever taught were seventh grade. So I, I was, and I, and I wasn't teaching them directing for God's sake. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, and I was like, this has got to be, I'm watching their faces. They're sitting there thinking, Grandpa's teaching us directing. Why are we here? <laughs> then I made the, the realization that they all loved Christmas Carol. So we read Christmas Carol. And then uh, for their final projects, I was like, hey, y'all, do you know what? You know when you take your dolls and your dogs and your toys and you make make-believe happen because we're all separated and we can't do scenes together? I want you to pick a scene from Christmas Carol and I want you to do it with your dogs oh. and with, with your, you know, cast your dog and do all that other stuff. So we went from being grandpa who teaches directing to the coolest grandpa. Who teaches <laughs> so, um, so that was, it, it, it ended up being really fun, but it's just, you, you, I had, hadn't taught kids that young for a really long time. And, and it was a, it was a challenge. It was a real challenge. So yeah, especially yeah. virtually. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, children virtually, those two things don't really mix oh, in my mind, no, but everyone's has to do it right now. Damn. I'm, I hope that when you start teaching, this world is gone because it sucks. Me too. Really <laughs> Me sucks. too. I was teaching when the pandemic hit, um, special ed. So last spring, and they were all the teachers, everyone was like, okay, so now you're just gonna do it on Zoom. And like, we had never heard of Zoom at the time. So everyone's like, I don't know. And it was so sad. We had one student giving their like big eighth grade speech um, and we hadn't figured out how to like lock the chat and lock mute yet. So I'm sure your imaginations can run wild, but it's like one of those moments where all these families are sitting on the Zoom and the teachers and we're all like, how do we stop what is happening right now? Because the internet is a wild place, not only to try and communicate with someone, but to like stop people from communicating. Yeah. No, it's really, I, it's hard. And our um, director of education and accessibility teaches um, in, a, in a, a therapeutic settings and she's never stopped. And she's gone in, you know, um, she stopped in spring, but they just canceled the classes. But then by fall, she was back in. And, um, you know, I, I think of her as a warrior because she's, she's just so fierce and goes in there and does it. And, and these kids, I, I mean, the benefit is vast, so. That whole education department, they're rock stars, just rock stars. Yeah, we have a good one. We really, really do.
Um, and uh, does that answer your question, Sam? Did I answer that? Yeah. Okay, good. Absolutely. Maggie, did you intern in the education department at Trinity? What was I your sure internship? Did. I sure did. I was the education intern. Sure it, was did. it was beautiful. It was yeah. so great. It's a good fit for you. And it like is what got me into special ed when I got to New York. So it was really awesome. Yeah. Had we started train when you were there, Maggie? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. I thought you were pre-trained. So you did have the experience of working with Jordan. I mean, yeah. Sam, this program is so spectacular and a big part of that is Jordan, who who is just a really fierce teacher um, and and advocate for folks with disabilities. And, and it's, yeah, it's pretty great. I still use her warm up in all of my theater classes. Yeah. The kids love it. They love it. There's a great, you know, we did this series in the fall called Your Half Hour Call. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a great episode that was the education episode that Jordan did with, um, uh, with Tracy Allard. Uh, if you remember Tracy, who uh, is on the autism spectrum. Um, and then this beautiful kid, David, who's, um, oh my gosh, he has so many challenges and he's such a love and he loves acting and, you know, we, he and his mom came on and it, it just watch it. It's totally worth seeing. It'll break your heart. It's so beautiful. Anyway. Oh, I love that we have somebody on who one of us has worked with. This is a first for us. So this is so fun. Well, not since our first episode. <laughs> oh, that's true. Cause yeah, you, you were the one who brought the first Dominique. Dominique was yeah. our, she's a wonderful, very creative woman in New York city. Her name's Dominique Salerno. I don't know her. Uh, she was our first guest on the podcast because I met her doing a show at New York City Fringe Festival. She right. actually, that show that she did at New York City Fringe Festival is now at Soho Playhouse. Okay. So everyone should go check her out. Sam just posted about it on our Instagram. Beautiful job, Sam. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I would love to talk a little bit about your time in Chicago, because I know you were there for quite a while and then moved to Providence. How did you find yourself in Chicago? Because you, you went to Yale, right? And was everyone there like, mm, Chicago's the place to go? No. Oh, no, really? my was, was like, we're going to New York. Mm. I wasn't exactly in the mainstream. I always did sort of the weird productions and the kind of offbeat things. and perhaps overly intellectual and, you know, I'm, um, Maggie, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I like Russian things, which is weird. And um, <laughs> so everyone was going to New York and I, how do I say this diplomatically? <laughs> I didn't feel like I fit in with that group. And so I started doing research, like what if I wanted my life to be in theater, but I didn't want to go to New York. And I actually tried moving to New York for exactly two months. Um, and I was walking down the street one night, I'd gone to the Pyramid Club, which I don't think exists anymore, it was in Alphabet City. And it was this really cool club that had all these rooms and in a house and you would have different music in different rooms. And we were, my friend Kim and I were walking home at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, it was New York in the 80s um, in a garbage strike. And so the street was literally alive with rats, like alive. Oh, oh. 
everywhere. Now it's four o'clock in the morning, right? And this one rat, like walking across the street, turns and looks at me like, what the fuck do you want? And I, out loud, I said, you know what? Nothing, it's all yours, take it. I, I can't live here. And, um, and I <laughs> back to my family and I, I loaded up a truck. I had done some research on Chicago and I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll move there. Um, and I, I um, got a job driving a pasta delivery van for a high-end pasta manufacturing company slash restaurant slash Italian market called Convito Italiano. And that was my first job in theater, uh, in Chicago theater. I say this to my students all the time. Every job that you have to support yourself is a job in theater. And I think it's the only way to think about mm. because if you if you put your subsistence job in opposition to your work in theater, you're fucked. Yeah. Because you always hate your subsistence job. But I knew every damn day why I was driving that pasta delivery van, right? Was so that I could go and meet people at night. And within, within three months, I was in rehearsal and I was doing a reading and I would, you know, um, and I, I first did uh, some work as an actor and I did some work um, uh, as a, I wouldn't call it an intern. I just started volunteering places. Um, this was long before people had official internship programs. Uh, and so, we were just on paid labor. Um, and I, I started, the great thing about Chicago, I couldn't have chosen this. Um, and it was very distinct from New York. New York is now more like this, but New York dislikes people who are multi-hyphenates. Mm. They want you to come in and be like, I'm the best damn actor in the world, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. They don't want you to be, well, I like, I'm a really good actor. I like to direct. Um, I want to translate. And I um, think someday I want to adapt and maybe write. There's no space for you. Fuck off, right? What, what is, what the space, is it okay that I'm saying fuck a lot? I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, but it's, the, the, the great thing about Chicago theater at the time is that it really embraced the multi-hyphenates. So like I worked backstage as a dresser on the mystery of Irma Vep, which if you know that show, it's a two character, two actor performance where they play all the roles, male and female. It's generally played by two men. I was in charge of um, fixing the wigs and also was the chief backstage dresser. Now, one of the actors in that play was Bruce Norris, the playwright, right? Before Bruce Norris was writing plays, but he was always writing plays mm. while he was also being an actor. Um, it was at the theater company where I worked with Amy Morton, whom if you know, you know, has been on Broadway and uh, originated the role of Barbara in uh, August Osage County, you know, uh, nominated for Tony as, uh, um, um, Martha and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, an amazing director, amazing, right? Um, so multi-hyphenates were the thing in Chicago. And because my interests were kind of broad, I lucked into that. It wasn't, it wasn't by design. Um, 
I could as, as e I could have as easily been in the wrong place. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I I didn't choose Chicago so much as it chose me, and then I stayed there for twenty years, um, and worked with a bunch of great companies, and um, you know, uh, uh, did everything that I mentioned before, and ended up in two thousand at Steppenwolf as the associate artistic director, and then. You know, that was Martha Levy, the artistic director was my great mentor. And she taught me about not only artistic direction but also opened up my playwriting side which I had never explored until um, she said, Curdy, write a play. And I was like, what? No, I'm not a playwright, that's gross. But, you know, um, so it's, so it was a, it ended up by accident being a really good thing. So that was my time in Chicago. I, I love that idea of how a survival job works as like, not just, because so many people have so many different perspectives on it. And it's just interesting because they're, they're necessary, right? You have to have one. Mm -hmm. um, my friend right now is in the process of leaving her survival job to like be a full-time actress in LA. And I'm so excited for her, but because the pandemic hit her like new year's resolution last year was to no longer be a fitness instructor. And now it's like this year, I'd like to only teach like four classes, you know, it like goals change because of those kinds of things. So you can't hate your survival job. No, you can't. And it's, and, and sometimes your survival job will teach you things that you don't know you need. Mm. You know, I, um, uh, I would suggest that folks who work in food service are really lucky because it teaches them humility in a profession where you where a lot of people are are arrogant pricks, you know, and so it, it it's like the, if you were if you allow yourself the instruction of your life, then everything adds up to what you bring to your art, right? So, yeah, that's just what I would say. I love the multi hyphenate thing because we've now had the opportunity to interview. I'm thinking now it's more people who had their start in Chicago than New York people. I think now, would you say, Maggie? We've, we've, I mean, the Chicago might, area a lot. We, like landed in <laughs> Chicago, people from Chicago. It's fun. But I think it was John said, people from Chicago are very proud of other yeah. people from Chicago. It's like kind Ooh. of a, uh, I, completely. I mean, John Judd, I have a, I, it's, unfortunately it's not down here. I have a painting from John Judd in this house because he's, you don't even know this. He's a brilliant, genius visual artist. Maybe you do. Talk about multi-hyphenate. We did talk to him about that because David Cromer told us that he started as a painter. Um, yeah, talk about multi-hyphenate. He, he had this, this really storied career that he told us all about. And it was like, I don't know what thing to call you first because you're so yeah. many things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Cromer, we were, there was, there was this, look, I don't know that it exists now. When we were all kids together, we were working on shows together in, a, I mean, I met Cromer when he was an actor in a show called Girls, 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 Live on Stage, Totally Rude. Not joking. John Judd also in that show. <laughs> so, you know, it was a show set in a strip club. Yeah. <laughs> the one where um, John played the drummer at the strip club? Uh-huh. Ah, then one of them told us about it. I don't remember which one, but one of them mentioned <laughs> that show. 
yeah that's fun that's so fun yeah that that's I think you are right because I'm like going through my list of people I know in both cities and saying like what what is it that they are doing (laughs) that Mm. is it it the several things is it one thing well it's also Sam the um and I I mean I've talked to I won't name the the playwright but she's a pretty famous playwright and has had her plays produced on Broadway and stuff and she's like New York's really hard. It's really limiting. They want naturalism. Everything is fucking naturalism. She's like, I don't write naturalism. And and my plays, when they show up on Broadway, they get tinged with naturalism because that's the environment. Mm. And it's really, um, New York is really challenging. And, and, and I don't necessarily, look, it's a great place to, to have a career but it isn't necessarily a great place to start a career. I'm just going to say, you know, I don't think Cromer would be Cromer if he had started in New York, but you know, we saw his noise within last (laughs) two years ago. Um, And, and I mean, genius, it's genius. And, and I don't, I don't say that lightly, (laughs) you know, Um, uh, it, it was so good and, and so beautifully directed and so uh, artfully crafted. And I, I watched his early work, you know, um, where all of those things were on display just in a different container, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Angels in America that he and Judd and a bunch of our friends did in a 60 seat church that was devastating. Right, it's just devastating. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate fortunate to have had that time in Chicago. I don't know if y'all know Kimberly Senior. Yeah, she was on. She was a guest of several episodes ago. She's fantastic. Kimberly was my intern at Steppenwolf. That's no. who it was. Somebody told us about <laughs> how they just started like volunteering at Steppenwolf and then eventually they made her an intern and when you were talking about that I was like who was it because we've interviewed so many Steppenwolf people now <laughs> that's who it was yeah there Kim we go still one of my closest and dearest friends and but you know I got to watch her like chaotic messy crazy work and then sit next to her mother at the Broadway opening of 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 um uh, disgraced and and both of us sitting there crying because here's Kimberly directing her show on Broadway. It was like insane. Um, and maybe that's the intelligence about a life in the theater is that you have to remember that everyone you meet is gonna be with you for the rest of your life. Mm. Yeah. So if you're an a-hole to everyone, they're all gonna be for all time and eternity thinking of you as an a-hole. Yeah. Yeah. I never forget. I have an elephant's brain. I never forget. (laughs) Good thing Maggie was a good intern. (laughs) Or we wouldn't be here today. (laughs) I would have been like, delete. No way. Uh, Speaking of never forgetting and wild theater, one of the greatest shows I've ever seen and will and literally cannot get out of my head is your production of Beowulf. That's one of my favorite productions of all time. It really is like, um, you know, J- Jason Craig's book 
is so goofy and hilarious and wonderful. Dave Malloy's music is so breathtaking. And, you know, I have these incredible collaborators on that. And we, we took this little performance art piece because they, they used to do it in like 20 and 30 seat theaters and we turned it into a rock opera and it was so much fun. And the puppets in that were fun. And gosh, if I had known, I would have, I have, I have a clip that I could have played that I should have teed up so that I could share my screen. Oh my gosh. I was scouring the internet for a clip um, because I was like, I just need it because it comes up in all of your bios, right? It's like one of the shows listed. Um, and I was like, oh, oh, this made me want to watch it so badly. And I couldn't find it's, it. Thank you. And you know, and I'm so proud of that one. And then I was proud of um, uh, Ragtime that we did after that, because that was such a, you know, um, we, we took that musical and we made it where Beowulf was a meditation on power and nationalism. Um, uh, Ragtime was really about, you know, how we have not changed from 1906 to now and everything is about Black Lives Matter, um, uh, when the Me Too movement and immigration. Um, and that's all in that play. And we were able to do something that was really thrilling with it. So thanks. Um, I wish you'd seen that one too. Oh, I wish, I wish. I think that was the year after me because I remember everyone was talking about it. See, and it's so funny because I was like, oh no, Maggie was an intern in the early 2000s. I don't know why I thought that. I'm so sorry. I, I don't, I, it, it I'm all, very I, mature. No, it just all runs together. You know, yeah. you never, you can't remember. I remembered you. I just didn't remember when you were there. It's like, Nate said, when, when was she there? And I said, I don't know, 2008, 2009. She probably saw Cabaret. Sorry. Oh my gosh. I bet Cabaret wow. was amazing. Well, that's the other thing that I love about Trinity is, is that it's like, oh my gosh, let me think, who do I think would have been great in Cabaret? And I bet like Rachel Warren would have been a great Sally Bowles. Was she yeah, Sally Bowles? Amazing. Sally oh Bowles. my God. Yep. Amazing. She sang uh, Life, that Life is a Cabaret um, at, at, at the very end. And that, that note, which you saw in Beowulf, she does this thing and, and Sally has that note where she goes, Cabba, right? She hits that. Ah, and Rachel literally peeled the paint off of the back wall. Like you could, you could feel the force of the sound. It was so huge. I, I still, and that show we did because, because that was when Rhode Island still hadn't voted on gay marriage. And Joe Wilson played the MC as, um, um, as you know, someone who was clearly trans. <laughs> And, uh, and we ended our production where, you know, the MC is supposed to come back out. Is this, is this boring? I don't no, know. No, not okay. at all. I love this stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, we started the show where Joe came out and he, he was so, he was in this great leather bustier and, and high heels and, and fishnets and, um, and that opening number at the end of it, you know, it's New Year's. He, they roll this cannon out on stage, he lights it, and then a confetti cannon blows off into the audience and it was so cool and fun, <laughs> you know. Um, and at the very end, he starts singing the Willkommen at the end uh, and he's now up in a tower that we had on stage. And when he turns to the audience, half of his face is all bloody and you can see that his entire 
gown is bloodied. And now the, there's the blondest, prettiest boy in the world who can't really sing, who's now on stage singing the end of Willkommen and they roll cannon out on stage <laughs> and they point it at the audience and he lights the fuse and the fuse burns down blackout. Wow. It was pretty cool. Wow. It was a good That's production. Such an choice. That's so cool. <laughs> I love that show. So kind of how we talked about theater in Chicago, we talked about theater in New York. How would you define or like, or talk about the theater world in New England? Uh-huh. Ooh, Because I'm from here, um, I'm from Massachusetts. It's, it's different. It's so like, you go to Huntington, you go to like BU. I, I've seen shows around mostly Massachusetts. I worked in Rhode Island for a summer too. Um, it's so different from New York. And I think I haven't been to Chicago, but I'm guessing Chicago too. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say what's different about Chicago. Mm -hmm. No, I can say that this is true in New York as well. One of the things that we had in Chicago is that we had a sense um, that there was a community of artists who are all working across theaters. Mm -hmm. um, and you had leadership that supported one theater and another, right? So you had mm. theater leaders, um, I think of Rock Schulfer who is still at the Goodman since like 1982. I mean, come on. Wow. Um, I love him so much, but geez Louise. Um, <laughs> uh, and he, uh, he really, I mean, I used to do shows in toilets on Lower Death Street and he would come to all of my work. And it was like, and, and I, he eventually um, recruited me to do a show at Goodman because he'd seen my work. It was like crazy, you know? And Martha oh, Levy first saw my work at a place called Edge of the Looking Glass. And then we worked together at Victory Gardens. And then we, you know, like, so you were part of this community of artists who worked together over time. I think the same thing is true in New York. It's a little more driven by the commercial impulse, but it's, mm -hmm. but at least, I mean, you know, and, and my friends who work there and you talk to Andre De Shields, right? I mean, just the, uh, the capacity of those folks to know each other and work with each other over time is really important. What I've found in New England is the, and this is in the culture. When I first arrived, I tried to, you know, reach out to Boston theaters and um, be a little bit more involved in sort of what was going on in New England. Um, and, and I am friends with, with some of the artistic directors um, in the New England theaters, but they're, they're very much more each their own domain. Mm. And so I don't find the same theater community in Boston that one has in New York to a lesser extent and Chicago to a greater extent. Now, the interesting thing, Sam, is, do you know, uh, Philadelphia has a great theater community. I've great. heard that. I've never been. One day. <laughs> Washington, D.C. has a great theater community where, the, where the, the theaters work together and, and work across theaters. Um, and that's why the, they're interesting places to be as artists. 
Mm. But I, I find being in New England theaters challenging. I really do. That's me being. I think that's a great answer. I, I've only, I haven't worked in New England in theater a ton. I, again, one summer I did. Um, I've seen a lot of theater here. And I, that's, I mean, everywhere you go, I think theater is different and every, you know, everyone's making different choices. And that's the coolest thing about how there can be theaters everywhere. Like you said, it's not to the commercial level of New York that doesn't exist anywhere else really. But I think regional theaters are the places to learn from for that reason. Yeah, I mean, London is interest is an interesting mm. amalgam of like New, New York and Chicago on some level. And, and in fact, one of my former students is now there and she loves it and she works all the time. And, um, you know, you, on some level, they have the best impulse of both the commercial and the regional. Um, but yeah, that could just be me as an outsider going, I love London theater, <laughs> but I do love London theater. <laughs> It's hard not to, it's hard not to. Um, so one of the questions that we ask every guest um, is about failure, because as artists, our work is like, not only based in failure, but like we face a lot of rejection, all that good stuff. Um, so we'd love to hear about a time that you have experienced failure and maybe how you bounced back or didn't, um, or a moment where you were like, and I'm out of the theater, goodbye, deuces, and then like refound that love. Any of these are options and all of these are things that we have heard, so. Just, just one failure? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it, it's, look, again, the virtue of being in this kind of large, broad community in Chicago was, I, I literally worked in every toilet on Lower Death Street. I mean, it was, it was literally, um, that's John Guare's line, which I steal and use liberally. Um, <laughs> I just, I had the great good fortune to be able to do just the craziest shit. Um, some of my early work was a, as a performance artist. Yeah, nobody knows that. That's like not a, you know, um, and, I, and I was doing performance theater with, oh yeah, I mean, I can't even talk about it. It's so obviating. <laughs> Um, so the, the, oh golly, the range of failure. This is so unpleasant what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> well, because, but it's important. You know, um, I, I had the great good fortune um, to start a theater company. It was a small theater on the north side of Chicago. And, um, I started it with my then girlfriend and my girlfriend's sister and my girlfriend's sister's husband. And we built the theater and the cafe that was next to the theater in two buildings that my girlfriend's sister's husband owned. We worked at the theater. We also ran the cafe. We took deliveries at three o'clock and, you know, at four o'clock in the morning. We lived above the cafe, right? The four of us were together all the time. And, and we did some really interesting, it was a performance collective. 
And, uh, and then one day around Christmas time, my girlfriend handed me back the engagement ring that I had given her and said, I can't do this anymore. Now, what a smart woman. And as a result of that, and I, I say this with no malice toward anyone else, but I had placed all of my eggs in a very small basket. And so I lost my home. I lost my theater. I lost my place of employment. I lost my girlfriend. I lost my girlfriend's family and the whole group of people that were my collaborators. And um, my friend Puff, who was a stage manager at Remains Theater, um, said, come in and sleep in my spare bedroom and you can assist and stage manage on this show that we're doing. Our country's good. And I was so fortunate that she said that. And they were long days and that play is, as you know, challenging because it's lots of locations. And so I was doing a lot of work and I would get home to Puff's house and she had this dog that I liked normally, but um, would sleep on my bed during the day. And she thought it was her bed. And so she would sit there going, and I would just be like, please, I've lost everything. Don't let me sleep. Right? I mean, (laughs) it was, um, you know, uh, and I was, I was 26 and I thought I had wanted to be married to this girl. And I thought I'd wanted this theater for my whole life. And I, you, you get it. Six months later, had a job at Victory Gardens Theater that started me on a whole different path. Had a boyfriend. Oh, surprise. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I mean, you go down the list. Eight months later. And I was sad and pathetic for a couple of months, but, you know, friends like Puff, she was like, oh, get over it. And, um, and I did. And I stayed in the theater um, and that little theater isn't there anymore. Um, And folks have gone on to other things. And so I wasn't meant to spend my whole life there, but man, I thought that at 25 years old, I was so sure I was gonna spend my whole life there. Um, and, And then you build on that and go, oh, I learned a lot. I had great associations with those people. I loved those people. They taught me all kinds of things. And I take that into my next work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then my next work becomes richer because of that. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that all along the way, I've had lots of mentors and lots of friends who were willing to, um, uh, you know, throw down when I didn't know my ass from my elbow. I mean, I just didn't know. Um, and I, and I, I certainly have had, like I, I did one show in the early 2000s that was a kind of nonlinear adaptation of Three Sisters um, that killed the theater company that produced it. Uh, and yeah, um, and it was not, not good. Um, <laughs> It was not good. 
Uh, and, uh, but I, I learned a lot from that, you know, so. Did you adopt it yourself, that production? I did. Okay. I did from oh. my own translation, but it was, it was trying to do too many things. I think is what I would say I learned from that one. It was like, oh, focus mm -hmm. on one thing. You know, um, it's just three women doing three sisters. Uh, oh, the men are all played by dolls or coats or, oh dear. I mean, it was just too many ideas. You know, I had a, my, my partner at the time was a painter and he painted these big giant backdrops and they were beautiful. Um, and I, uh, and everything else sucked. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I did some really talented people in that show, but the show sucked and it, it killed the theater company. So yeah, that's, that's failure. That's, thank you for sharing. No, that's, that's really good. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's funny, not funny, haha, but just like interesting when like relationships and connections kind of, I feel like is the theme of, of the podcast, um, yeah. end up really changing your course, you know? Cause like, as much as you're going through a breakup in that moment, there's so many things that have changed. Um, totally. that I think that's really powerful. I mean, it's interesting that was the moment that, that Cromer and I became really close friends was because I had broken up with my girlfriend. Oh. Um, that was the moment that I spent a lot of time with John and Francis Judd. Um, uh, there's this amazing artist named Paula Killen, who also, I mean, it was part of our, start of our working relationship. She was a performance artist and we worked together for like five years. So, you know, out of that moment of despair, I, I actually got so many gifts, you know? Yeah. So that's what I would say, Sam, to your question, uh, or Maggie, to your question about failure is that failure is, is a great teacher if you, if you open yourself to learn. Yeah, definitely. Should we do Matt Damon questions? I'm just, I'm just taking notes. Let's I do just it. like the things that you say. You're writing it down, yeah, I love it. Yeah, we, uh, it's called Finding Matt Damon, the podcast. Um, so do you, know, do you know who Matt Damon is, number one? <laughs> question. No. No, no okay. Um, what a pure know. life you must live. Yeah. No, I, I love Matt Damon. So, yeah. What are some Matt Damon movies that you like? I love The Martian. Oh my gosh. So does Maggie. That's actually, that's actually one of so my good. favorite movies. I love Contagion. Oh. Relevant. A relevant movie. Yeah. Also, you get to watch Gwyneth Paltrow get the top of her head cut off. Cool. Oh. Um, and, and Matt Damon, that, that really great scene where in the hospital where the doctor's like, or he says, I want to see my wife. And the doctor says, unfortunately, your wife's died. And he says, what? No, I want to see her. He just can't process it. He's amazing in that movie. Um, those are probably the top two. I can't really think of any others right now. Um, those are great responses. They are. Uh, who in your life, so we, we know Matt, we love Matt, we know that Matt has been, right, Ben Affleck, um, yeah. who has played a myriad of roles in Matt's life. Um, 
creative partner, uh, best friend, yep. um, so many. Uh, so we're curious, who in your life is your Ben Affleck? Um, well, actually my Matt Damon is the one running the water in the background and making all the noise because he's about to make dinner, even though I'm still on the podcast. So if you could <laughs> not do that, that would be great. Um, and, and <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I know you're coming in, but here, come here. This is this is my husband Nate Maggie. Hi. Maggie from oh. at, uh, I do. At I Trinity. do. Hi. Hello. He even mentioned the Bourne films. I mean, oh, yeah, oh. we do like the Bourne films. No. Wait, Kurt, why are you Ben Affleck and he is Matt Damon? Uh, That's interesting. I'm, I'm broader in the beam. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great answer. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah, great answer. No, um, uh, and Nate is Nate is funnier, and he's funnier. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm the funny one. He's the pretty one. Um, uh, but uh, so that's so Nate is my is my Matt Damon. He really is. Uh, and we do we do. You know, this is you were talking about the things about the pandemic earlier, and the great thing in the pandemic is that we've spent the last year together. You know, because. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a flight attendant, but he's been off the plane. And so we've actually had a year together when um, we've never had that in our relationship before. So yeah, it's oh. nice. It's been nice. Wonderful. Um, similarly, uh, the way the podcast works, as you know, because John referred us to you, is we ask that you refer us to somebody in the arts and entertainment industry that you look up to, that inspires you, and that will be our next guest. We normally ask for two or three, just in case somebody's schedule doesn't work, but if, you, if there's like a number one choice, we'll factor that in for sure. Um, some of the people that I look up to, um, do you all know Susan Booth who runs the Alliance Theater in Atlanta? I've definitely heard that name. Yeah. Um, I, I really admire the, um, and take a lot of inspiration from her. That's great, yeah. Oh, this is a great was, list, thank you. Yeah, an awesome list. Before we go, is there anything at Trinity that you would like to plug? Or other things in your life too, if you have other well, projects I mean, as well. You know, this, the, the, it's, it's not plugging so much as, you know, we've been involved in this very robust conversation around anti-racism and becoming an anti-racist space, uh, both as a theater um, and as a, a training program. And um, there's just there's just so much work to be done. You know, the, the historically predominantly white institutions have so many structures of white supremacy built, baked into them uh, that undoing it is this massive process. And that's been one of the opportunities in the pandemic. So um, uh, I see that as even when I leave Trinity, that I, that's gonna be a space that I work in for a very long time because it's something that I have cared about for a very long time. And um, this Aspire program, if you haven't heard of it, is is really a space for just extraordinary future leaders of color. So yeah, yeah. Lucky that that's in my life. If we had another hour, I would talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, wow. dinner calls.
Uh, thank you so much, Kurt. This was so wonderful. It was so good to see you again. It was so wonderful to hear all, all your stories. It was really lovely. I know it's so great to be at the age where you're like, oh, I've just been around for a really long time. Yeah. It's true. But thank you both. You're delightful and good luck at NYU. Good luck in London. Maggie, we will reach out when we come to visit. So, okay. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoy dinner. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Finding Matt Damon. Please be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard, leave us a review. Special thanks to Kristen Crack for the music and Jody Croucher for the sound. And Matt, if you're listening, we're coming. <laughs>